Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. Welcome to the Word on Wednesday with Pastor Winfred Burns. And get ready for yet another exciting, action-packed Bible study as we continue our journey through Acts. And these sessions all together, the first part one, is entitled Commission Community Life and Complications, and it's going to cover chapters 1 through 9. And we just bless God for you being out here tonight. Uh, we're going to start with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to put myself on the clock, and we're going to get right at it tonight. We're not going to waste any time uh, tonight. So let's begin in prayer. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to give you thanks, to give you praise, to give you glory, and to give you honor. We also come, God, asking that you would lead and guide us through this Bible study, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our minds, that you would illuminate your word so we can see what you are saying to us. And then, Father, give us direction as to what you want us to do with it. We know, God, God that you delight in us knowing your mission and what's going on and that you will speak and tell us things, but we don't just want to be information sponges. We don't just want to walk around here with a whole lot of knowledge because we know that knowledge does nothing but puff us up. But instead, God, we need actionable intel. We need to know exactly what you want us to do with what you are teaching us right now. Because our mission is to serve you, to bring you glory, to bring you honor, to advance the kingdom of God, to be your disciples in these last and evil days. We bless you and we praise you for your faithfulness. Now make us faithful in doing what you've told us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's get started right away, and I am going to put us on time right now. Now, as I said earlier today, um, that this is commission, community life, and complications. Remember, every now and then I draw us back to what our theme is, and I draw us back into what the purpose of Luke's writing of Acts is, and that is that he wants to encourage Theopolis. He wants to encourage Theopolis and let him know that the things that he's been taught are true. And so he sets out with this orderly treatise. He sets out to write this letter of what happened concerning Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the church. Because, again, as we said early on, this is written in anywhere between 60 and 80 AD, and so he is recounting things that happened uh, years earlier to Theopolis. And again, the church is under persecution, 
uh, if it happened in, the, in that in that during that time period that he's writing, we know that Nero is around there burning Christians, and Christians are under persecution everywhere. So, you know, we want to keep that right in the forefront of our minds as we continue on in in in, in our study. It's important that we are grounded that we that we are grounded in what we are reading so we never lose sight of what is actually happening. And then, not only do we want to know what happened then, but we want to come to some conclusions as to what it means to us now. So with that said, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 6. And just jump right in. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, so what happens here is um, the, the church is successful, and it's growing, but it's not just Hebraic Jews that are being attracted to the word of God. It says they were Hellenists. Now, Hellenists are Hellenistic Jews, Jews who uh, speak Greek versus the, um, the Hebrews who speak Aramaic at this time. There's not a lot of, you know, Hebrew at this point in time is an archaic language, and this people, the Hebrews, have literally lost their language by and large. Most of them now are speaking Aramaic. Um, now, let's talk about these Hellenists for a few seconds, these Hellenistic Jews. Remember back in the Old Testament when the Jews, uh, 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 when Israel was taken over by Babylon and then later Judah uh, uh, was overrun by the uh, Medes and the Persians and they were all, Israel in its entirety were taken off into captivity. When they were taken off, when they were taken away in captivity, under Cyrus, 
a small portion of them came back. Because under the Persians, what the Persians like to do is the Babylonians just enslaved you, and what they did was they just left, um, they would leave just the poorest of the poor behind, the weaklings. If you, couldn't, if, they, if you had no value, they'd leave you behind or kill you. But if you had any kind of value, the Babylonians would take you off into Babylon. They would set you up, and there you would serve. But the Persians were different. The Persians, what they would do was they wanted you in your land. They didn't mind your religion at all. What they, really, what they were interested in you doing was going back to the place that you came from, and you would become productive, and they could tax you. And so they, they were interested in you producing revenue. And that's something behind the, 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 the reason that Cyrus let the Jews go back. They didn't mind them worshiping. They didn't mind anything. They Just pay your taxes. Make sure that money came back to, per, to the Persian Empire. That's what they were all about. Well, as time went on, some of the Jews made their way back to Jerusalem. You had the initial folk that came back, and then slowly but surely people would migrate back into, um, into Jerusalem. And as we go through these next couple of passages, the next couple of chapters, you'll see that the Hellenists, as well as Jews from Asia and other places, are going to be the source of contention. And why would they be a source of contention? Well, I'll get into a little bit more of that later because I want to stick with these first seven verses. So it's these Hellenists that are complaining because their widows are being neglected. Now let's go through the, the, what do you mean they're being neglected? Well, think about it for a second. Basically, you have Hebraic Jews in charge of the ministry. You have, you know, the apostles that are in charge of the ministry. You also have a philosophy within the ministry that everybody needs to be taken care of. And, and we saw that in previous chapter. There should be no need. Now, the way that, one of the ways that they ministered to the poor and to the, um, in, and, and to the widows is each week there's an allocation of um, a money, of that allowed a widow or some poor person to be able to secure 14 meals. That was handed out on a weekly basis. And then there was the daily ministration that they would give in emergency situations to, to people that were outside of the ministry, as well as some that were in or were just coming to the ministry. So what, what's happening is, is that some kind of way this thing got disorganized and because it was ministered by the Hebraic Jews, they had no line of sight to the widows that were uh, in um, the widows that were with the Hellenistic Hebrew Jews. They just they didn't know they were there, and so some of them were being neglected. It wasn't you know um, willful or anything like that. It's just think about it for a second. You know who you know. And you know the widows that you know, but those that are far off that are joining, you don't know them. And you have to remember that even though that they were considered one community, that there were a number of synagogues 
that they were meeting at. There were a number of different places. For example, with the Hellenistic, with the Hellenist Jews, they were meeting at a separate synagogue, and the, uh, their their worship service was slightly different. And what you're dealing with here is a multicultural church. And so tonight, what we look at is how do you solve multicultural issues within the church? Because that's what they're facing here, a multicultural issue. And so when the apostles are made aware of it, they call everybody together, and the first thing that they do is they say, we have a problem. And that's the, first, that's the way you solve a problem. You have to own the problem. And they own the problem. Wouldn't that be great if we, if we looked around in our churches and we owned our problems rather than just tried to sweep them under the rug. And we called everybody together. Because it says they called all the disciples together. So they call everybody together and they literally have a church meeting where they state the problem and they own the problem and they come up with a solution to the problem. And the solution is that they said, hey, look, um, we're overburdened in this area. If we take on the responsibility of um, trying to minister to all of these, all of the widows and watching the money in this, this takes us away from what God really called us to do, and that is prayer and the word. So what we need is somebody who can get this job done, who can take this job over. And now some people think that that this is the, that this is the beginning of the uh, 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 the office of deacon. Not necessarily. It's actually a job of a minister. What you see here is the beginning of the office of minister. So you have elders and then you have ministers. And these first ministers are going to be qualified. What are they going to do? They're going to be they're going to be men full of the spirit and they're going to be um uh men of good reputation. And when they talk about reputation, what we want is we want word men who are worded up, who can minister the word of God, as well as have such a great reputation within the community that they are trustworthy, that we can trust them to do this. And look at what they look at the men that they that they pick. All of the men that they pick are Greek speaking men. They're all Hellenists. Why would they pick Hellenists? Simple, because they're going to be able to go directly to the area where there's a problem. They know the widows. The widows are part of uh, the, the widows. The widows who are being neglected are part of their ministry, uh, part of their synagogues. So they know exactly where the problem is, and they're able to solve the problem. Problem solved. It does not. It does not say that 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 um, 
that that these men, okay, were uh, that the apostles rather would become completely divorced from ministry because there's a difference between preaching and praying and ministry. Ministry is effectively going out and caring for the flock of God. Peter has a mandate, and his mandate is to feed the flock. Now, he's, his, his concentration, his major concentration, is going to be to feed them spiritual food, but it does not absolve him of his responsibilities of making sure that the physical needs of the congregation are taken care of. Now, one of my criticisms of our churches today is that sometimes uh, we spend more time taking care of people outside of the church rather than taking care of the ones that are in the church. I believe it should be family first. I believe that we have an obligation to minister to everybody, but it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good that we have people within our congregations who are faithful in their giving, who are faithful in their attendance, who are faithful in their service, and yet they set up in the church and they have obvious physical needs. I, don't, I, I was in a situation uh, a while back where uh, I watched a, a young man who had a physical need and the church had the ability to meet it, and they didn't help this young man, even though this young man had devoted his life to the church. And that young man, because he couldn't get help from his own Christian family, wound up making some decisions that could have been avoided if we had taken care of our own. But that's neither here nor there. Anyway, so this this chapter teaches us, this these seven verses teaches us about when there was a a um a problem within and how the apostles were led to bring everybody together to own it, to come up with a solution for it, and it was a solution that involved following the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God guided them through it, and then they addressed the problem effectively. And the result was that um, that the Word of God continued to increase because, number one, there was no neglect of the Word, there was no neglect of prayer, and the number of, notice that I say not believers, but disciples, disciples, you see, now we get into this word disciples a little bit more. These are followers of Christ. These are people who are being taught the word of God. And that's the mission of the church, by the way, to teach, to, 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 to preach and teach and make disciples, baptize and make disciples. That's our mission. And, and as a result of them staying on mission, not letting their differences because of culture Tear them apart, but instead draw them together, come with a solution that the number of disciples increase. And now, what does it say? A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, again, we go back and we talk about that priesthood. Now, there's the high priest and his gang, and then there's the ordinary priest, who, by the way, are being neglected 
by the temple. They're not the temple's not taking care of them at all. But anyway, let's keep going. Verse I want I, I want to close that down and move right into verse eight. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Silica and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So we've got this Greek-speaking Jew now. This Greek, this Hellenistic Jew named Stephen, who is out spreading the word of God. This is the same Stephen that's been selected to minister to the widows. He's out preaching and the word of God, and he's out preaching amongst uh, uh, the freedmen, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia. Now, again, go back to. Um, the diaspora, as it's called. Go back to the Jews that had been dispersed throughout the land. These Jews had found their way back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in, is very important to a Jew because this is the only place where they could bring sacrifices. This was the place of the temple. The temple was central to the life of a Jew. And now we have Stephen saying that, and, and not just the temple, but there's Moses. They're clinging to their culture. They're clinging to the law because this is part of their identity. And as Stephen preaches, literally what he is doing is he is attacking their system of belief by saying that Jesus fulfills the law of Moses, that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, his people are steeped in the law, and they are clinging to the law. They're clinging to their ways, and they're clinging to them. And we have to be sympathetic with them, too, because this is what they know. They haven't gotten the revelation of God. And because they don't have that revelation, then when someone comes along and says, what you believe is wrong, you're ready to fight, especially if, you are, if you've been in a faraway place and your heart has longed to get back to Jerusalem so you could worship the God of your ancestors. They have a certain mindset. And when, he come, when, when Stephen comes along and he's saying, you have to change your mind about this. Because we have been given the revelation of Jesus Christ, and this is what Jesus means to us, and this is what he should mean to you. You are attacking a person's belief. 
And these Jews are not having it. And so, because it's going to upset their way of life. And so, once again, they get together, they go, and they petition the high priest, the scribes, who are already, who have already told the disciples, do not teach and preach in his name. And they come up, they begin to dispute with Stephen, and they can't, they can't, they, they can't overcome his knowledge and his wisdom. Why can't they overcome it? Because he's operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, once again, the devil uses this, and they seize him, and they get ready to take him before the Sanhedrin. This is where we're at right now. My question tonight is, are, are we being guided in our presentation of the gospel to such an extent that we are willing to stand against, or not against, but for the truth of God? Are we so, are we on such a mission where we'll actually confront a lie? We'll actually are willing to upset the apple cart of someone's belief system? You know, that's, that's really, that's really a difficult question. If you think about it, even within the church, there are differences in what we believe. Now, Stephen's not going out there and being, um, how should I put it? Stephen's not going out there being insulting. It's not to insult somebody when we uh preach and teach the gospel. We're not, we're not interested in insulting anybody. But we recognize that, number one, that there are cultural differences, that there are informational differences. And uh, there's this thing called apologetics where we basically defend or as we present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And lately what I'm learning is the reason why most of us don't present the gospel is, number one, we don't think it's our job, even though the Bible clearly teaches us that it is. Number two, we don't feel that there is a a certain amount of weight and validity behind our witness, which I would dispute with you all day long. If you've had an encounter with Jesus, then you need to present that. And then finally, we can't. We don't know enough of the word to, uh, as they say, refute what others are saying, and that's one of the reasons why we why we have this particular Bible study. That's why we have Bible study, so we can teach you the word, so you can, as they say, withstand withstand the arguments that others would bring. And it's important that, 
you know, not just the, that we present this word because it's not our job to um, make people believe. It's our job to plant the seed, to introduce them to God. You know, later on uh, in, as, as we study, you'll find out that, that, uh, that Paul will write to the Corinthians that one man, one man plants another waters, but it's God who gives the increase. And so what we, when we participate in spreading the gospel, we don't know whether we're uh, planting, that is, inserting the seed, whether when we pray that we're um, uh, uh, plowing up the, 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 the soil, or whether we're coming along watering or weeding. We don't know what part we play in the harvest, but we all play a part in the harvest. And that's one of the things that we got to get used to. But when, and as they said, when we come up against some tough soil, when we come up against some tough characters, and there are a lot of them out there right now, and, you know, we could talk about the, the – the, we could look at um, – the people that Stephen is up against right now, and say, those are some tough characters because that's what they believe. But we have the same people today. We have people within the church. We have people without the church who, you know, doubt Christ or who don't believe. We have atheists. We have people from other religions who say, no, Jesus is not the way that, you know, Jesus is just a prophet or whatever. But we have the words that bring life. And what we're going to see over the next, in, in chapter 7, as we move into chapter 7, is that Stephen is going to take a stand in the midst of a hostile environment. Stephen is being accused falsely. And if we look at these accusations, don't they seem familiar? Blasphemy. Blasphemy here means speaking against. And see, these people are enraged because they worship that temple. They worship Moses. They, this is the place of God. And Stephen is basically saying that the temple is not what you should focus on. And maybe he has said what Jesus said when he says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it up. Well, Jesus was talking about his body. But he did later predict that the temple would fall down and it does eventually get destroyed. Jesus did prophesy that. But the important thing that we need to see is that they got him on trumped up charges. And they're before the Sanhedrin, they had to... They had to lie on them to get, just to get him that far because when they can't withstand your, the truth, then they have to resort to lies. And again, what do we see here? We see the hand of God versus the hand of Satan. And what we want to do is we want to be here next week to see what Stephen has to say, because Stephen is going to stand in the midst danger, 
knowing that blasphemy is punishable by death. There will be no Roman intervention because blasphemy is something that the Jews are sanctioned to take care of on their own without repercussion from Rome. Multiculturalism and belief and the belief systems are meeting. And the introduction of these different sects of Jews will follow us through the rest of Acts. Well, that's where I'm going to stop at tonight. We finished Chapter 6 in good order. Uh, I would encourage you to go back and, you know, reread for perspective. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't take you more than 30 minutes to read all six chapters because now we'll get right back into uh, some things that are going to just be um, phenomenal. My 30 minutes are up, and I need to know if there are questions uh, for those of you who are on um, Global Drive. You can call me at 929-477-2304, 929-477-2304. You can give me a call right now at 929-477-2304, and for those of you who are on Facebook Live, you can type into the screen uh, any questions that you have. And if you have no questions, uh, because I have been a little under the weather, I'm going to pray and shut it down. And you probably noticed that I'm, you know, as they say, uh, a little bit short tonight. And the reason why I'm short again is because we've been battling a little something, um, picked it up from some little kids and, I've discovered that kids have, um, they're carriers of some super germs. And when you're not around them often, and I'm not around little kids much at all, and I went around some, and they were delightful kids. I love them, love them, love them. But, oh, you better take all your medicine and echinacea and zinc and, and anything else that you can get because you need your defensive because those guys can, ooh, they'll put you down. So if there's nothing else, let's uh, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll call it a night. And I'm only at 3154 right now. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come. We thank you that even though we are diverse people, that you show us how we can come together as one. Father, we would pray that you would just guide us by your spirit, that you would open our hearts up toward one another, that we would be so concerned about the needs of others, that we would search out solutions, that we would take care of one another. Father, the breakdown in the family that we experience is, is also translating itself into the church where we're such individuals that we can never come together collectively and care for each other. Oh, God, help us with this. 
even now we repent of our own selfishness and not looking out for the needs of others more than we look out for ourselves. Father, give us hearts that allow us to open up and just show love through our commitment to one another, to hurt when others hurt, to celebrate when others celebrate. Oh, God, you told us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Make it so. Make it so in my lifetime. Oh, God, how I bless you and I praise you for all that you do. We thank you for those who attend these Bible studies faithfully. We thank you for those who want to but are facing obstacles. We pray that you would help them to overcome their obstacles and to get into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's what we have for this weekend. We praise God for you. We we pray that you would um, be with us again next week when we go into chapter 7. Bless you and have a wonderful, wonderful evening.